As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Keith Law, welcome to episode 128 of the Keith Law Show. Very excited today, going to be joined by Susanna Hoffs, who you might know uh, as the lead singer, one of the lead singers of the group The Bangles, um, which is certainly how I first became a fan. I also enjoy her solo work, and she just put out her first novel, This Bird Has Flown, earlier this year, and that's primarily what we're going to talk about. For those of you who subscribe to The Athletic, uh, I am currently on vacation as I speak these words, but uh, was obviously very happy to make an exception to do this podcast. I have produced uh, quite a bit of baseball content uh, since the last podcast episode. I have re- broken down pretty much every trade that took place leading up to the trade deadline, certainly if it included prospects, either in an individual column or by contributing a few notes to our news story on the trade. I also did a quick wrap-up just highlighting three teams they thought had particularly good trade deadlines, three teams that I thought maybe didn't have such great trade deadlines, did a little piece looking at the three Max Scherzer trades. He's been traded three times in his career and how those prospect packages differed from one trade to the next. And obviously prior to that had a whole bunch of draft content, uh, which was prior to the last podcast episode as well. But I've been writing a lot. I think I wrote more in July maybe than I ever have in any month for The Athletic. And that's why I felt like I could take a few days off. So I am actually speaking these words from a hotel in Indianapolis where I am attending Gen Con, the annual board game convention. So for those of you who follow me for that sort of content, my Gen Con wrap up will be up at some point early next week over at Paste Magazine. And I've already picked up a few review copies, um, including Forbidden Jungle, which is the latest co-op game from Matt Leacock, designer of Pandemic. He did Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Sky. So I guess this is actually the fourth game in the Forbidden series, uh, which I'm very excited to check out. And I've seen a lot of other great games. I will recap everything I saw for Paste at some point this upcoming week. 
Now it is my great honor and a bit of a personal thrill to be speaking with Susanna Hoffs, who you might remember from her time as uh, one of the members of the Bangles. She has also had an extensive career as a solo artist with a new album, The Deep End, that just came out about two months ago. She also has published her first book, her first novel, called This Bird Has Flown, which came out in the spring. Susanna, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So This Bird Has Flown is your first book of any sort and comes quite a long time into your career as a creative person. So I feel like this might be an obvious question, but did you always want to write fiction or was this kind of a new, something that popped up for you? Um, A little bit of both. It popped up for me um, on the heels of having written, uh, co-written several screenplays over the years. Um, I've always loved fiction in all forms, um, whether it's, within a song or obviously I'm, I'm a book nerd. I I've been reading my whole life and I I'm a movie buff. I, I shouldn't say buff. <laughs> I'm a movie uh, obsessive. Yeah. And somewhat of a movie buff, I guess you could actually say that. Um, so I have this practice of really going deep and, you know, in all forms, in all genres with, with movies, but um, yeah, so it was kind of a lifelong dream, but on the heels of a, a screenplay, another co-write, co-writing situation on a screenplay, kind of finding itself shelved at, at the studio that that had been so interested and then suddenly, you know, it's the development hell of it all um, in the my older son Jackson had said, Mom, why don't you write that novel you've always wanted to write? And I thought, why don't I? And then I just sort of took the plunge and it was an unexpected kind of blissful experience for me. I think I it was the right time in my life to do it. I had the time to do it. I made the time to do it. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. It it it's sort of the more I think about it, um, my love of all the different art forms and in different ways that we tell stories and and how we connect with each other as human beings. It all kind of swirled together in that right moment for me to take the plunge and 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 I'm, I'm completely self-taught taught in 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 music and I don't read music embarrassingly <laughs> but I also didn't take a class or anything I just I just found myself studying a f- certain novels that had had a big impact on me over my life and that and that was really helpful to go back and sort of instead of just enjoying the story, kind of looking and sort of analyzing the craft of it, you know, um, of those books. Uh, I understand one of those books is Jane Eyre. Yes. And, um, and that, that novel's story, at least a little bit inspired, uh, this bird has flown, which I didn't know until afterwards. And I started putting it together because I love Jane Eyre also. Right. And people often look at me funny when I say that I love that book because it's you know, sort of this gothic romance novel with this totally ridiculous twist at the end. Uh, and although I have to say I also appreciate it more, I don't know if you've ever read The Air Affair by Jasper Ford, where he kind of pokes gentle fun. No, but I'm going to write as that well. the, Oh, he's the Air Affair. Yep. Okay. Jasper Ford with two Fs. He has also been a guest on this podcast, as it turns out. Oh, okay, cool. I have to figure out yes. a way to, um, maybe at the end I'll get, I just, my phone is not cooperating. I want to write that down. Or you can yeah, yeah, sure. me or send it to Nicole or something like that. Okay, yeah. But anyway. Perfect. Yeah. Will do. Um, so I'm curious too, what, what, first of all, what stands out to you about that book, which obviously really stands the test of time, but sure. also did, was there more 
from that that you took from that, whether it's something direct as sort of the outline of a plot or, or specific elements or style uh, points that you took from Jane Eyre in writing this book? Oh, I love that question. Okay, well, first of all, I love the fierceness of Jane Eyre's character. She, she's, she's, you know, had a very tough start in life. Um, she is, is sort of like an orphan, you know, and she um, was thrown into this sort of boarding school situation that was very difficult with a sort of evil school headmaster and. She, was living with a family that didn't, she didn't really feel comfortable um, in that setting. And um, she's just this fierce, she has this indomitable, ugh, I hope I didn't stumble over that word, spirit. You know, she just, she's, she's, and she's so true to herself. I, I think that she has this sort of core sense of integrity as a character. And so when she enters this world, this fancy world, this posh setting, and and, and I love the gothicness of it too, um, it, because it is it is not only a romantic book, but it's a, a gothic story too. You know, it's and and it's um, a kind of an old fashioned kind of story, um, but that she really has never encountered. A man in in the as is Mr. Rochester, who's sort of a flesh and blood, com complicated, sort of fiery, um, intriguing guy, and she holds her own with him in a way. There's that great scene where he invites her to the library, and he's very, you know, sort of looking down his nose at her, and she's this. She just holds her own in a way, and then she continues to do so throughout the book. And having read it so many times, I had occasion to stumble upon a really excellent audio book version read by Juliet Stevenson, who I who who kindly agreed to read all the British voices in um, the audio book of of This Bird Has Flown, uh, because I realized. The, the level of verbal sparring that the Jane Eyre character has with the Mr. Rochester character is so extraordinary. And it really came through for me in hearing it interpreted through Juliet Stevenson's brilliant narration of that. So there's so many things about it. The book Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier is, is a similar story with a similar Gothic setting of Manderley and a similar love interest who's like twice her age. And I, when I say her, it's because bizarrely, you think of the Rebecca, the protagonist is Rebecca. No, the dead wife of, of uh, Max de Winter is Rebecca. So she's this sort of humble narrator who's uh, thrown, uh, like Jane Eyre, is thrown into this very posh setting that's gothic. So I, I decided to that in my book, um, knowing that I love the idea of meeting a stranger on a plane, a mysterious stranger on a plane. There's so much about plane flights and stuff, and it all swirls around with my own sort of fear of flying and that theme as well throughout my life and taking plunges and taking chances into new directions. Um, there's a lot of thematic stuff that I sort of pulled from, especially Jane Eyre. But yeah, I love the gothic setting also of, of um, um, Rebecca. So those those two books kind of feature pretty 
prominently in my in my uh, sort of journey of writing this bird has flown. Oh yeah, I have both excellent choices. I am the real Mrs. De Winter now. <laughs> I know. Oh yeah, fantastic. It's so great, isn't um, it? Yes. Oh, it's fantastic. It is just. It's one of those where I know the movie's great. I understand that nothing can beat the turning of the page when you get to that line and the way it just hits. Right. Just yeah. you know, it's as you think. I'd love to write something like the any line that's that powerful, that's that memorable at some point in my life that just smacks people right off the page. Exactly. And and the theme of sort of the ghosts of our past and also. Um, I mean, in both cases, I wanted to reinvent the male protagonist character so such an intense degree because, um, I mean, <laughs> Rochester and Max de Winter are, are sort of horrible characters. Let's face it. I mean, right. you, know, you come, you come I, I, having read Jane Eyre so many times, and again, the Juliet Stevenson interpretation of Rochester's dialogue really helped me to see more in Rochester. I think Max de Winter is, is not much of an appealing character at the end of the day. And it is sad that the unnamed protagonist is sort of, you know, sort of, she doesn't have the fierceness of a Jane Eyre character, but I like that, that Gothic setting. And so I chose Oxford for that reason. I will say, I think I put Rochester above Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights, though, who I never understand why people like him. He's just terrible. He's terrible. And why is he some sort of romantic character? No, he's just awful. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I'm going to revisit that book as well. Like, there's so many things on my list. I, it's, it is interesting, though. I don't know. If, like, I wish I had a better practice of finding um, new books because I do find myself going back to books that I loved in my adolescence, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's funny. I don't know what, what that is, but I think some things get imprinted, imprinted in us as human beings from childhood and adolescence and even college and beyond. But it is, it's, I'm reflecting on that now. And, and yeah, so it's so fun that you're a fan of those books as well. I, I do find that you have to I need a certain amount of time too. My favorite book in college was a novel called The Master and Margarita. Oh, and I, I love that one. I oh, it's so good. That it, too. So good. Okay. Um, Thank you. But I remembered it so well that it's like, I can't read it again. I remember the plot points. I remember the characters. And before I knew it, you know, life goes by, you read other books and suddenly it was at least 15 years later, probably longer. So, you know, I haven't read that in a really long time. And it was long enough that it was fresh. And, of course, you find new things. You're older. You have more life experience. Well, I just found one from you and made a note of it. The master and the There you master. go. Yes. And to answer your questions, to, to, your question, too, is to find out about new books, this is usually it's just by asking people or talking to people or a yeah. reader will recommend something, right? Totally. I'll read pretty much anything. Like you, I read all the time. Yeah, I can't stop. Um, and now that I'm working on a, a sort of related second book, I shouldn't talk too openly about that because you never know what, where the story will go. But <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm researching a lot of books about Hollywood. Is <laughs> the setting, you know, just to give a little bit mm -hmm. of hints there. But yeah, I just I love the research phase of things as well. Mm -hmm. It's just so fun to it, it is a kind of solo journey, but um, mm -hmm. but. 
I found that, I mean, because I've always worked in collaboration or formally worked in collaboration um, preceding the the writing of this bird. Um, but uh, yeah, now I just, I love, I love the research. I love the deep dive into, I mean, I was telling uh, an interview I did recently, the uh, interviewer that um, they asked me, how did I, uh, grapple with um, all the British characters. And I said, well, I just spent years watching every episode of Inspector Morse, which is set in Oxford and keep mm-hmm. the notepad and write scribbling down, you know, sort of p- posh, almost over the top ways that the professors would would speak and and the, the characters from the pubs and, you know, just gathering the language. Because it was so fun, even if it was a bit over the top in Inspector Morris. It was great. Right. Right. Uh, so I'm curious about the Jane Stark character, too. Just sort of what was her genesis? I've seen some interviews where you said it's not really based on you. Mm. But she is really interesting. And what I thought was so great, especially for a first-time novelist, that you gave us a very three-dimensional character. She's very well-rounded. She's smart, yet she's insecure. And she's flawed, but she's not pitiful, right? You're never making fun of her. I never felt like you were making fun of her. You root for, you want to root for this person. And so I'm curious, especially because I feel like that is such a hard thing for even many experienced authors to come up with a really credible three-dimensional character. Where did she come from in your mind? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. I mean, um, when I, when, when I had that first prompt and I really thought I'm, I'm going to open the blank page and start writing this book, I had a moment like, who who who's the who's the protagonist? And I I had a, a thought about making her an actress. I had I was originally and automatically driven in my mind for some reason to make her someone who performs for a living and has the pressures that come with that. Um, but then I quickly thought, oh, you know, maybe I should make her a musician because it is an opportunity for me to take an experience I know um, so deeply and, and I know sort of the, I could add rich layers to it just from my own experience of being in the music business and being a musician, which are two different things for me. Um, the business is one thing, the love and joy and bliss of making music another. So um, yeah, I so then, then, then once I figured that out, I thought, you know, it would be great to make her a one hit wonder who's down on her luck because it's nice to have a predicament to have to grapple with right off the bat. And she's just dumped by a long-term boyfriend thrown over for a sports illustrated model. There's a lot of triggering (laughs) (laughs) in, in a short amount span of time and her friend and manager who's British sort of tries to pull her out of this, you know, downward spiral she's in and in, and just books her a, a, a corporate gig, which is playing a bachelor party in Vegas. And so I so once I once I sort of found her there, her voice just started to bloom for me. I just I it, a combination of like perhaps things that that I've my, experienced myself, um, having been, you know, felt the heights of being in a really successful band and having hits, but then sort of deafening silence of like it all going away suddenly because the next crop of people in their twenties come along and, 
And she's finding Jane finds herself at 33 going, oh, gosh, I'm over the hill. I'm, I've been dumped for a younger woman. I have this one song that was a hit, but does anyone even remember it? Um, and so it, it made for a good predicament. And then her voice, you know, I found her voice easily. I liked her. She, I, and I never actually had a very strong idea of what she looked like even. I, I just it was just like this whirling dervish, but she's so full of heart, you know, and she's so um, no matter how many predicaments she has to encounter along the way that are demoralizing, she'll, she'll find somebody to say, <laughs> well, I'll just pretend I'm at the gyno off uh, uh, at a gyno visit. And, you know, it just goes quick. You know, this is going to be over fast, just like that. You dread it, you dread it, you dread it. And then it's like, all right. That was that's over. Those kinds of things just hit, came into my mind, flooded into my brain for some reason. I thought, and she just would make me laugh. I mean, she was just. I liked that. I liked that indomitable spirit that she had. I, I it, and so yeah. And then I wanted her to find love, and I knew the whole time she's just going to be diving into all these things way too fast, but. You know, I, I it's that's the fun of writing fiction. It's not really you. It's you getting to explore what it would be like to be in somebody else's shoes. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's part of why I love reading fiction, too, is just a good fiction, right, can just transport you into can be experiences that are totally unfamiliar. It's, I read I read all kinds. I read literary fiction. I read genre fiction. I read stuff that's completely foreign to my personal experiences. It doesn't matter. It takes me yeah. somewhere totally different. I, I have to say, too, it's funny. I was going to ask you about the sort of inside baseball parts of the music industry and how you felt because I personally liked it. I can't speak for anybody else, but having no experience in the music industry at all, I thought it was interesting. I like getting that deep dive. And I was wondering, you've sort of answered this question, but did you did you worry you were going too far in that direction um, which I don't think you did, but I could see, I'm very familiar with sort of the voices of self-doubt that come into write being any sort of writer too. It's like, don't do that. That's too much. That's too much of that. No one's going to think this joke. No one's going to think that's funny. Yeah. Uh, and so I know I, I have a little bit of an idea of that feeling. Yeah. I mean, you do walk kind of a tightrope at times, you know, um, but speaking specifically to the parts that were about her, grappling with her stage fright or her having a, a you know loss of confidence in herself and her feeling like she can't do it like she's too afraid she's too uh she has too much self-doubt um and it was actually really interesting when i started to write the concert her the, i don't want to spoilers it doesn't matter but you know when she has to she finds herself on a big stage um, and working through as the writer, all of Jane's feelings as she deals with her stage fright, as she feels her um, lack of confidence, um, her, the level of intimidation she feels having been asked to perform with a true iconic rock star. I know what it's like to stand on a stage and see Fred, Fred from the side of the stage and watch Freddie Mercury perform uh, in, at Slane Castle in Ireland with the Bengals had opened 
were, were part of the festival uh, and, and but were allowed to watch on the side of the stage. I know I've seen Robert Plant on a stage, you know, I, I, I know what I know what that's like. It's both the most glorious front row seat to something to be witness to brilliance like that, but it's also insanely intimidating, especially if you're not the kind of artist that really has that swagger. Now Jane can find it. Like when she turns off all those switches that are telling her like, you can't do this. Who are you to do this? And she just channels this like singular focus. And when I was writing that part, those parts of the book, you know, once I got readers, you know, on hand to, to, to weigh in. And then I, once I had my fantastic literary agent giving the book, you know, her read, and then I, then I, then Little Brown, you know, is on board with the book and I have an actual editor. Um, I, I found that they really loved those parts and they want, they would encourage me to go even deeper, you know, sometimes is if memory serves. I mean, it's been a while since I was in the editing phase, but so I, that was fun because, you know, I've um, internalized those experiences. So having to sort of unpack them, you know, in the moment, you know, was really fun and challenging for me. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really liked that. And I, it was good after being so alone with the book to get eyeballs on it, you know, and, and to get feedback because it is, it's different from music. You know, you can kind of go out and it's always scary when you present a new song. Is anyone going to like that? You know, but you have instant rapport in a sense and feedback from the audience when you're sitting alone <laughs> writing a novel in your pajamas <laughs> most of the time for years, you're like lost in your own fantasy, you know, so you don't really know. So that was really a great, the whole journey of it's been so interesting. And cut, cut to this, like getting up to people who read it, you know, wanting to talk to you about it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The last question I had on the book was uh, that icon, that rock icon character you mentioned, Jonesy. I, are there just little bits of lots of these people? Like there was one passage I'm blanking because I read it two months ago, but there was something that was very Prince yeah. in something when he comes out on the stage. I'm like, I bet that's Prince. And obviously you did have recorded a song that Prince had written at one point. Yeah. I wondered, was this just bits and pieces? You mentioned a couple of others any one of whom would intimidate me probably into complete silence if I were standing in front of them. Um, 
it just seemed like, I, I know he's a minor character. I think he only actually appears on the page for a tiny section of the book, but he's always there in the background, Yeah, which seemed like he just seemed fun. Like you must know all these people with their quirks and you could pack as much as you felt like into this one character, which makes it all the more exciting for the reader when a you know, mild spoiler, he does appear at some point towards yeah. the end of the book. He's yeah. not just a phantom. Yeah, no, no. I mean, the Jonesy character um, figures very large in Jane's brain um, because, yeah, I mean, just the arc of her being noticed by this. Um, well, she covers his song. Okay, so that 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 she is inex. There's an inextricable bond between him and her because she would have no one hit to be the one hit wonder of had it been for her song. And so there's this dynamic that she feels in, in some ways, part of it is that she feels like a fraud. Don't we all to choose to deign to take the plunge and say, I want to be an artist, you know, in any form. I want to be a novelist in my fifties, you know, like, like, so, but, um, and now my sixties, but, um, so, so yeah, so I think that he loomed large as a kind of, um, you know, it just riled up a lot of insecurity in her and, and fear. And, and there's a lot of complexity to him as a character too. He's, he's not, he's not a character that's easy to read and, and, know and understand and he's also a kind of character that knows his his charisma and uses it and uses it I don't know in ways that are a little bit nefarious um in in that's how I wanted to write it because I wanted to create this level of of uh, predicament for Jane like how do I how do I work with this person and what does he want from me you know, and I just know that in the course of my lifetime in the music world, I've experienced that feeling before, you know, and I just thought it would be something to put on the page. And it just gives not only is Jane grappling with why am I doing this? Can I write a song? Um, the the one song I covered was written by somebody else. Am I am I worthy of doing this? Can I? Can I do it? And so I don't want to give away spoilers, but that's he factors into that dilemma and journey for her. Yeah. Transitioning a little bit to talk about your latest album, too, uh, which is The Deep End, uh, because that is a covers album. And I sort of also saw a little bit of a parallel to there and just thinking about your career, too. So many of your not all, but many of your biggest hits going down to Liverpool was a cover. I didn't know that for a very long time, actually. It was, uh, I was probably a good 15 years after that song came out that I discovered it was actually Katrina and the Waves. I know. Um, for many and people, you did it. this you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You made it popular, certainly in the United States. I think that's the only reason it was popular. And you did a cover of, I, I've always been fond of the Lightning Seeds, and your cover of All I Want is uh, just an absolute all-time. I love that Absolutely recording. love it. And they are such oh, yeah. nice people. That's so they... cool that you know that one. Yeah. Oh yeah, loved loved their stuff. I was in college when Pure came out, and was it was a big college radio hit, right? So had I not been in college at that very specific time, too, would oh. I have been as familiar with their work? Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, when they oh, they're so great. And 
So I was curious too, like, did, I know this is your second straight album of covers and I was curious, is that, do you just kind of prefer to work in that at this point in your career? Obviously you haven't always felt that way or yeah, it occurred to me, maybe you're just honoring a lot of songs you really like too. You, I know from reading interviews with you, you have pretty broad taste in music too. And it's a way to bring a lot of those songs to a different audience. Yes, all of those things. And um, the Bengals kind of cut their teeth. Is that the expression on doing covers? Like when we first met in the garage of my parents' house where I was living in a converted garage, the first song we ever played together was White Rabbit by the Jefferson Airplane. And um, in in the early, the early Bengals shows, while we were trying to learn how to be, Vicky and I were sort of like a songwriting team. We were trying to figure out how to be a songwriting team. Um we we would we would just pepper our our shows full of covers because we what it was was there was this paisley underground movement that sort of bloomed in los angeles at that time of like-minded musicians all all of us in our 20s who who were sort of trying to drag the 60s music kicking and screaming into the 80s following new wave and you know punk rock which i love too i was a big sex pistols fan and i saw patty smith and the sex pistols at winterland ballroom in san francisco when i was a student at uc berkeley and all that kind of stuff but so covers were always a big part of the Bengals catalog as it happens and our club shows but um you were asking specifically about uh no that about writing versus covering I mean, I wrote a song yesterday for the first time in in years after being so focused on the novel with my friend Steve Tannen, who's in the band called The Weepies. Um, but uh, I'm really interested in writing music again. I feel like now that I've written a novel, what's stopping me from actually going back to really trying to write? Um, you know, I co-wrote In Your Room and, and Eternal Flame with my friends Billy and Tom, Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly. And I did a tremendous amount of writing in 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 the 80s and beyond. But um yeah, I think something about the music business, there was a little bit of, I don't know, it's a little bit traumatizing. I hate to use such an overblown word because I've had so much success in in the you know beyond my wildest imagination when I took my flyers to the whiskey logo <laughs> and was like, I'm looking for a pre-internet, you know, like, oh, here's my phone number. Uh, <laughs> on weekdays after five, I have all these flyers that are like, here, there's my phone number and I, I'm available after 5 p.m. I had a day job. Uh, right. So, an actual landline for people to an call. An actual landline. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I was I was very tenacious about, you know, starting a band and I wasn't going to wait. There wasn't I, even if there was American Idol, that wouldn't have been my route. The same with the I. Yeah, I just want to get something in my head to do it. Like that's one thing I could say. I just and I really want to do that thing. I'm I'm gonna do everything in my power to do it. Um, so that was true for music. But yes, the Bengals relied fairly heavily on 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 covers. And then the big first hit was um beyond the song Vicky and I did, that was the thing that flagged Prince's attention, which was a 
co-write with me and Vicky called Hero Takes a Fall and was our first single. Thank you. I love that song too. That was the song that um, Prince heard and was like, who's this band? You know, who are these singing that? What What is this? And that led to him giving me Manic Monday. I went over to, to get the, I ha, I still have the physical cassette that, that I got that day. And then, and then we recorded Manic Monday, which he chose to, to not use his name on and and it's um ascribed to an artist called Christopher. But that that was classic Prince too, you know, to be sort of evasive or, you know, take on personas. So that was cool. And um, but yeah, I mean, I think having written the novel and becoming more comfortable with with uh with writing in a way. Oh no. Sorry, why did that go away? Oh, there it is. The phone came through there. I thought I had okay, sorry about that. I've never seen that happen. Um, yeah, okay. Um, that I, I'm I'm determined to get back into songwriting and I'm I'm very excited to do that. I have a little more confidence, awesome. I think. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Hero Takes a Fall because um uh, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I was, uh, I went back and watched some of your earlier videos and it is so funny to watch you know, the, for folks who haven't seen. So the two videos I think of from the, from that first album, one has Leonard Nimoy as your yeah. cab driver, right. Yeah. Going down to Liverpool. The hero takes a fall. You guys are so young in that, no. video. like even the difference between that and what it, it would have been four or five years, I guess, four years later to the next album. It's like, Oh, this is a brand new band and you're like playing. It's almost like you're busking on a street oh, yeah. corner. Yes. With a lot of hairspray. There was a lot of hairspray oh involved God. in those videos. There was yeah. so much. Um, <laughs> it's so quintessentially, you know, 1984 or something, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I have loved revisiting some of that stuff too. It's so funny to see that the changes in the hair and the big, big eighties hair and yeah. Oh, I'm glad you watched that. That was fun. And I loved Leonard Nimoy. I grew up with his kids. So um, yeah, so that's, that was just me. Um, the, 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 at the, that point, the label didn't want to make another video. So um, my mom directed that. And I called Leonard and said, hey, would you be in the video? We just, just a little bit of stunt casting. And my amazement, he was like, I'll be there. What day, what time? It was so cool. Amazing. Yeah. I have to say the, uh, the, on the hairspray thing, I know you're, you're, I think your kids are a little older than, um, my oldest is 17 and a year or two ago, she, uh, found my high school yearbook <laughs> and, I'm sure you can imagine what the oh. hairspray situation was like. Lots of pictures where the hair didn't fit, did not actually fit in the in the frame. <laughs> in yes. the frame. Oh, that's yep. hilarious. Yeah, no, that was that was uh, the 80s. When I was in the 80s, when I was living to the 80s, I thought, oh, I wanted this to be more like the 60s. And now I finally have this incredible fascination with the look, the feel, the sounds, the the flavors of the 80s. It's just, it's a really, it's actually a really interesting decade, turns out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've loved in introducing my kids to some of the music or movies. Oh, yeah. Not not all of the movies, shall we say. Some yes. have not held up quite as well. Yeah. It's got to be a little yeah. selective, but it's fun. It's fun to bring that bring that culture forward to 
another generation, especially when they're receptive, which all, all of my kids have been on different levels receptive to that. That's cool. I remember speaking of um, the 80s when I was asked to um, talk to the to the producer and the music, the composer for Less Than Zero, who were, I, I was friends with Thomas Newman, who was the composer. And, and I he knew that they wanted to have wall-to-wall music. And I, I knew Tommy as a friend. And he brought me over to meet John Avnet, who all these years later, I've maintained a friendship with John. And John and my husband, Jay, worked together as directors and DGA and all kinds of things. But um, we, we've known the Avnets. But I remember I pitched Hazy Shade of Winter, which had just been a song that we loved playing in the clubs to um, for the movie. And that, and that was so fun, uh, participating in that movie, because it was so quintessentially 80s the Brett Easton Ellis book having adapted and that movie was was really quite you know dark and very dark um and and the performances Robert Downey Jr's performance in that was unbelievable yeah yeah it's kind of fun to look back on the 80s I'm actually really at the time as I said I was so much of a 60s nerd I I I just wanted to look and sound and be like someone from the 60s but <laughs> but but now i look back on the 80s and i i actually love i love how kitschy it was and and quite diverse in the styles of things that were being made in the 80s i i like it i love the 80s yep yep absolutely i am very much born in 73 but i always say i'm really more of a child of the 80s yeah. just in terms of coming of age especially in terms of coming of age music film tv all of that that yeah. is, you know, i know it still influences me birth of mtv i i recently watched not to digress watched i remember which andy warhol documentary it was it was an andy warhol doc documentary that was so good it had him team with basquiat miss Jean-Michel Basquiat, there was like scenes of, of, of New York in the eighties. And I was just, I was mesmerized by it. I, I thought, oh, I lived that. I, I know that the look and feel and sound and vibe of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm having a big eighties <laughs> in my mind. I mean, I, it's really fun to revisit it. My guest today has been the multi-talented Susanna Hoffs, whose first novel, This Bird Has Flown, came out earlier this year. I highly recommend it. And her latest album of covers, The Deep End, also came out earlier this summer. Susanna, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening.